Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here in your presence again, we thank you for this privilege again. We praise you, Father, as we come in here. And Lord, we're just asking that as we look into your word now, that you would open up your word to us, that you would challenge us. And Lord, if there are things in our lives that need to change, I pray that those things would change. Lord, I pray for those that are here that if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as their Savior, that before they leave here today, they'll make that decision. Lord, we lift those up that have been mentioned. We pray for their healing. We pray for recovery. We pray for relationships, all of the things, Lord, that we're all struggling with. And we lay them at your feet, Lord, and we're trusting you with the answers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? You know, it's been said that prayer is one of the greatest privileges that we as Christians have, and I believe that it's true. Um, it's a privilege to go into the Lord's presence. It's a privilege to to be there, to talk to Him, to have that freedom to lay before Him the things that are on our hearts. Also, though, prayer is one of the greatest war zones for Christians. The one thing that Satan does not want Christians to do is to pray. Now, it's not that he's afraid of you, but he is afraid of the power that you have access to. And he'll do anything that he can to stop that. Many times people are discouraged with their prayer lives. Many times people begin praying and they, their mind wanders off to something else. And there's all kind of ways in which Satan intervenes or tries to prohibit or to stop us from praying. Because the Bible tells us that this is one of the ways in which we tap into the power of God. It's easy for us to be distracted, to lose our concentration. And the Bible teaches that we have to stay alert. In other words, we have to purposely go about wanting to pray. Prayer doesn't come natural. It just doesn't. It's odd. It's, 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 it doesn't feel right sometimes talking to somebody that physically isn't there, but knowing spiritually that they are there. So it takes some adjustment. It takes some time to come around to accept what prayer is and how it works in our lives. But it's something that each one of us needs to be involved in, and we need to be uh, the kind of people that don't allow anything to stop us from doing that. Now, you know as well as I do that when you go to prayer quite often, what happens is our mind begins to wander to other things. We lose our concentration. We become bored with the whole process. And we're not the only ones. It's, I think it's human nature. The disciples struggle with that too. Let me take you to a passage of Scripture to remind you of this. I'm sure most of you are familiar with it, but to remind you, in Matthew 26, verse 38, Jesus is in Gethsemane and he's praying the night in which he would be taken and crucified the next day. And it says, Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now, stay here and keep watch with me. What is he saying to them? Well, they keep watch. Basically, he's saying stay awake. Stay awake and keep watch and pray with me. Now, he goes off a few yards away, and he's praying for about an hour. He comes back, and down in verses 40 through 41 of Matthew 26, it says this. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Couldn't you watch and pray with me for just an hour without going to sleep? And then he makes this statement. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, guys, if 
most of us had to describe our prayer lives, that's what it would be like. Well, I really want to. Spirit is willing, but man, the flesh is weak. I get distracted. I get bored. I got, you know, whatever kind of thing that causes your attention deficit or whatever, you know, uh, whatever you may say, you're, you're basically saying, this is the reason why I can't or don't pray. And it didn't really hold water with Jesus. He says to the disciples, could you not just pay attention for an hour? Could you not just join me here and pray? Now, for some of us, when it comes to prayer, we ask a lot of different questions. We ask, for example, well, why bother? Why do we bother with prayer? Isn't God going to do what God wants to do anyway? So why bother with praying about it? Why, why does he care what I do? He's the God of the universe. He should be able to do what he wants to without me or relying on me to pray. Others say, well, is it that important? You know, is it important really that we pray? I've heard others say, are all Christians supposed to pray? Maybe it's just those special Christians that have the gift of praying. And maybe that's what God meant, that God wanted them to pray, but not all of us. I mean, after all, I don't really have a desire to, you say. So why why should I do that? And then there's always that excuse that we throw up. And that is that, you know what? It doesn't work anyway. There are many times that I pray and say, well, God doesn't answer. God didn't give me what I want. I prayed for this person to be healed and they weren't. I prayed for them to, to live and they didn't. I've prayed before, it doesn't work for me. And so why should I be bothered? Because God doesn't answer. Today what we're going to be doing is answering the question, why pray? Why should I care? Why should I be involved? Why should I pray at all? And I want to share with you three reasons why you should be praying. Now these are not all the reasons why. You know, when you get into your groups tonight, maybe a, a good exercise for you for you guys to brainstorm why you ought to be praying. Maybe there are other reasons that you can think of or come to mind when you talk about this tonight. But I want to share with you these three reasons today. And here's my challenge. And here's how I, where I'm trying to go and what I want to achieve. If you can leave here today, and if you could leave here today and you think to yourself, you know what, maybe, just maybe I should learn more about prayer, then I've achieved my goal. If you leave here today and you say, well, maybe I should start praying then I've achieved my goal. That's what I want. I want to challenge you as we begin this study on prayer that you see it as something that you need to be doing, something that God wants you to be involved in, and that you begin to do it. And as we go through this study, we're going to talk about a lot of different things, try to answer a lot of different questions that you may have, but you've got to begin to pray. And this is where I want to take you today. Three reasons why you and I should be praying. Here we go. Number one is this. Because God's power flows to those who pray. The power of God flows to those people who are praying. This is told to us throughout the scripture. That if you lack the power, then tap tap into God's power. Because that power flows to the person that prays. More so than the person that does not. Now watch this story as I share this with you. It's a famous story out of the book of Exodus. It's chapter 17. Verses 8 through 13. And it says here, starting with verse 8, it says, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. 
So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held his hands, held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up, or held his hands up. One on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Now, the story, sometimes we miss the point. You know, we talk about somebody holding up somebody's arms and lifting them up and helping them, and that would certainly be a point that we could make with the story. But what did Moses learn that day? When he went up on top of the hill, the whole idea of holding your hands up is that he was praying. And we'll show you this in a moment. It's all through the New Testament. I held my hands up to heaven in prayer. And this is what he's doing. He's praying while the army is fighting. And here's the lesson that he learned. That when I pray, we win. And when I don't pray, we lose. And guys, this is what I'm talking about. There is power that is unleashed to those that pray. You can't get around it. It is all through the Bible. And granted, there are all kinds of questions about prayer we're going to talk about. But don't lose track of the importance of this one. Because God says there's power that is unleashed to you, through you, toward the the needs that you're lifting up. There's power in prayer. And the same is true today. Someone once said that when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. When it comes to the Christian life, I believe that a lot of us are more concerned about working and accomplishing things and making things happen. So much so that we fail to see the importance of allowing God to work on our behalf. And it's through prayer that we enter into this relationship where God says, I now am going to unleash my power on your behalf as you pray. And God accomplishes great and mighty things in our lives. It happens all the time. God's power can change the circumstances of your life. Some of you right now are living in home lives that are less than perfect, let's say. Your marriage is on the rocks. Your kids are rebellious. Maybe you're a kid and your parents are abusive. I mean, it could be any number of things. But God says to you that when you pray, my power is unleashed to you. Some of you are in dire need of money. Your finances are not what they could be. You're falling behind on your bills. You've lost your job, and it could be any number of things. And so you fret and you work and you try to make things happen, and there's nothing wrong with trying to make things happen. We all need to be involved. But at some point, we have to come to the conclusion that if I want this to change, then I've got to unleash the power of God. And that happens when I pray. For some of you, we're worried sick about our nation. We think to ourselves, what in the world is going to happen? Election's coming up. We don't know what to do. What if so-and-so wins? What if this thing happens? What if the Supreme Court doesn't go our way and we get some another liberal in the Supreme Court? All of these things. Now, you can worry about that and you continue to fret about it. You can do all you can to change that, as we should. But all, at some point, we need to realize that when we unleash the power of God through prayer, then things change. And only God can change those things. Sickness. Praying for somebody that's desperately sick. 
The doctors can't do anything. You can't do anything. God can. And when you pray, God says, I unleash my power to you and through you into this situation that you're lifting up before me. It goes on and on. Our church, you personally, your job, everything. When you pray, God changes the hearts of people. The Bible tells us that the kings of heart, uh, the hearts of the king, kings are in his hands and he changes them as he sees fit. God can change that just like that if we pray. God can change an unbeliever into a believer. Whenever we pray for somebody that we love, somebody that we know is lost, how do you pray? What do you say? Sometimes we don't even pray because we don't know what to say. I pray, God, save them. Just that simple. God, save them. You bring them to their knees. You destroy their life if you have to. You bring them to the point where they have no place to go but just to look up to you but save them. And God's power is unleashed toward unbelievers like that. I can tell you stories about people that I've prayed for in my family that were lost and how somehow God did something that I couldn't do. I couldn't persuade them into, but yet God did it. And that's what I'm talking about. The protection that we want. God unleashes that power to protect you. God unleashes power to give you direction. All of these things in life that we so desperately want, and we work so hard to try to manipulate and to make happen, God says, listen, here's the reason why you need to pray. Is because I have all of this power that I want to dole out to my people, and the ones that pray, to them I unleash it. And, and for some reason, we as believers just don't get that. We don't see that. We don't see the importance of it. Some say that when answers occur, things we pray for happen. Well, that, that's just coincidence. There was an old pastor one time that somebody came up and said to him, said, Pastor, I believe that this answer to prayer that you're talking about, that was nothing more than a coincidence. He thought for a minute, he's made this statement. He said, well, it sure is amazing how so many coincidences happen when I pray. You know, and I think that's so true. Look, you've got to believe and to understand that God is working. But then the question, well, what about unanswered prayer? What about those times when you tell me God wants to unleash his power on my behalf and I pray and nothing happens? What about those times of unanswered prayer? Now, guys, we all have been there. We all know that there are times in life when some, we pray for something and nothing seemingly happens. I don't know completely the answer to that, but we're going to discuss it in future sermons as we go through this series. But listen, you're missing the point. The truth that is first and foremost is found right here in James. Listen to it. In James chapter 4, verse 2, James says this. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Now, guys, we can argue and talk about and fret about and discuss theologically why God does this and why God does that. The biggest problem with our prayer life is we just don't pray. That's the biggest problem. So until that begins, none of these other things need to be discussed because they're all mute. It doesn't matter until we begin to pray. You and I have to pray first, and the reason why we pray is simply what we're saying here, that the power of God 
is unleashed in your life when you pray. Guys, if we can just begin to do that, I think we would see miraculous things happen. Here's the second reason why you and I should be praying. And that is this, that prayer affects the quality of your relationship with God. Prayer affects the quality of your relationship with God. Now, this one's important. They all are important, but this one is special, especially important because I don't think we understand this one. You know, we understand the idea of coming to God and praying for things and, and expecting answers and power unleashed and all that. We, we understand that. But this one here we struggle with. We struggle with understanding this and appreciating the teaching of what it's saying and the importance of it. So few Christians spend time with God in prayer. A lot of us are just casually acquainted with God. And we need to understand something, that according to the Scripture, a relationship cannot develop unless there is time spent between two people. I can't have a relationship with my wife unless we spend time together. You can't have a relationship with your children unless you spend time together. It just won't happen. I cannot have a relationship with God that is what God wants me to have if I never spend time with Him. And it's through prayer that I spend time with Him. Because it's during those times when I'm praying that I'm right there before him, right there with my soul laid bare, where God is basically taking me through a spiritual study hall, if you will. Where God is speaking to me, where God is teaching me. Have you ever been in, in, uh, in a time of prayer and you just, you just sense the presence of God? You just know he's there. You can feel it. You begin to have ideas that you think to yourself, where in the world did did that come from? Well, it's God teaching you. God, all of a sudden, direction, an idea pops into your mind for something that you need to do. And you think to yourself, where in the world did that come from? Well, it comes from God. God is teaching you. It's the process of praying that somehow affects us spiritually and enhances our Christian lives. And this is so important because we don't often think of this. I have come to know God better through prayer than for the, through any other means. It's through prayer that I've learned that God is approachable. It's through prayer that I've learned that God cares for me. It's through prayer that I've learned that He can be trusted. It's through prayer that I come and I worship. Sometimes when I'm by myself, the best times of the day are when I'm just talking out to God. When I'm listening, when I'm letting him speak, when I'm feeling the presence of the Spirit of God, when my whole life is changing, attitudes and actions and thoughts, and everything's changing. And sometimes we don't understand that. We don't understand that prayer changes our Christian life. It changes our perspective and everything. As your prayer life grows... God reveals more of himself to you, and he breathes more of his life into you. This is important. As your prayer life begins to grow, you spend more time in prayer, then God begins to breathe more of his life into you. He begins to open himself up to you more and more. And this is one of the benefits that we lose when we don't pray because in our minds we're thinking, well, it's not going to matter, so why pray? And we don't understand there's another advantage to praying here. 
Now let me read some verses of Scripture to you. These are out of the Old Testament. And what I'm wanting you to see is this. The, um, the attitude or the uh, perspective of these people as they pray, what it is doing to them, the process of praying as they go through this, okay? In Psalms 143, verse 6, the psalmist says this. He says, I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. So here he is. He's in prayer to God. He says, I'm spreading out my hands. There's that euphemism again. I'm praying just like he's lifting up his hands. He says, and I'm like a parched land. I'm coming to you in prayer so that you can satisfy me. Now, he's not lifting anything up. He's not asking anything. He says, Lord, I'm coming to spend this time with you so that I can be revived. He understands that the presence or the process of being there changes him. It changes him. Here's another one in Psalms 141.2. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. He says, Lord, I'm going to come and I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to pray. And here's what I want it to be. I want it to be a time of worship. Lord, I want it to be like incense to you. I want it to be like the evening sacrifice. Lord, I want, I want this to be special. And it did. It affected his life. Here's another one in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. Now, David is in trouble with his men. Their wives and children have been carried off. And David did not know it. And as a consequence, now they're mad at him and ready to kill him. It says in verse 6 of chapter 30, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Now, don't miss this, okay? We read through these psalms so quickly, we just miss the whole point. David is ready to be killed. He has nowhere to go. He goes into the presence of God and he finds strength there. Not in the answer. He wasn't waiting for the answer. He was finding strength in the process. He went in prayer and it changed him. See, this is what I'm trying to get you to see. That it's going to the Lord in prayer in the process of it that changes us. Here's one in Second Samuel. Chapter 7, verse 18. It says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? Now notice what he's doing. He goes into the presence of the Lord, and he sits there in the presence of the Lord, and he says to the Lord, Lord, who am I that you have blessed so richly? You know, I'm nothing. He says, Why have you blessed my family? Why have you brought me so far? Now, here's what had happened. David had been promised that God would build up his house, that David, his kingdom would be forever, that God would build it up, that God would take care of him, that God would establish his family. And down to verse 27, 2 Samuel 7, 27, listen to what it says. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. God, you promised me this, and I believe it. And so, Lord, I come to you now in courage, knowing that our relationship is such that I can pray to you. Every single time when you look into the Scripture, having been in prayer, these people's lives are changed. 
they are stronger, they are bolder, they are worshiping, they are more spiritual. Their spiritual lives have changed. Now, guys, listen to me, because this is very important. I don't want you you to miss this, okay? When you and I approach prayer, we approach prayer with the emphasis on the result. We come at this from I'm going to go to prayer and ask God for something, and then I'm going to sit back and expect it to happen And when it does or it doesn't, then I'll respond. We're more interested in the answer. But now listen to me. Because when you look at the scripture, what God values is the process. God values the process. He values the fact that you're there. The relationship that we have in prayer. The fact that I can come to him, open up my heart, he can speak to me, he can guide me, he can give me direction. It's the time that we spend together that God values. Now listen, if that was not true, then God could just give us answers and be done with it. But it seems that as you look at Scripture, what God keeps saying is he says, come to me. Come, let's convene together, let's talk, let's fellowship, let's communicate. Because what is important to me is the process of praying. I've got you right here where I want you. I've got your attention. I can pour into you. I can can change you. I can teach you. Now here's a McGeeism, okay? Just a thought. You can take it for what it's worth. But this came to me as I was looking at this and thinking about it and studying it. Could it be that God delays the answer in order to prolong the process? Think about it. If God values the process, me coming to him, the relationship that we have, if this is what God gets out of this, if this is what God values in this whole idea of praying, and in our minds we got, it, we got this image of God as the genie, We're going to come and ask for something, and that's all prayer is to us. We ask for something, and then we just wait to get it. And there's never any other time that we go before the Lord. And so God delays the answer until we understand that what God wants is the process. God wants the relationship. And until I learn that, nothing happens. Now think about this, okay? If that is true, and I... Now, I have no doubt that God values the process, okay? He wants you praying. He wants you there listening. I have no doubt that's true. If this is true, then wouldn't it make sense that the more I pray on a regular basis, the more that it is a part of my life, the more regular this occurs... You know, you may get up in the morning and and spend some time with the Lord praying, just worshiping and praying. Prayer isn't just asking, guys. You've got to understand this. And so I come to the Lord and I'm and I'm 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 blessing, I'm, I'm worshiping, and maybe asking for things and just thanking Him for all the things He's done. Then throughout the day, maybe when you drive to work, you've got some Christian music playing and you're listening to that and it just spurs your heart to just praise God right there in your car. And you're just praising him and worshiping him. You know, right there you are, right in his presence. And maybe that night before you go to bed, you get down on your knees and you thank God for the day and you pray for people that you came across that day and you pray for things that are important to you. You're pouring out your heart. You're right there in his presence. 
And if that is a regular occurrence for you, the process is always there. You are always participating in it. You are always active in it. Then here, listen to me. When I have a need, would God not move more quickly because the process is already established? There's no waiting for you. There's no pleading with you. There's no coercing you to come into his presence. Hey, it's already there. It's established. But see, this is so opposite from what most of us do because most of us wait till there's a catastrophe. And then we pray. And what I want you to see is that prayer affects your Christian life. It affects your whole relationship with God. And if you have a regular prayer time where you are spending time with God, maybe multiple prayer times throughout the day, then you are going to grow like a weed spiritually. You really are. Because God is right there teaching you and lifting you up and encouraging you and all of these things. This is so important. And I want you to understand that prayer is more than just you coming and asking for something of God. Because God values that process, that relationship, that time together. Prayer affects the quality of that relationship. That's number two. Here's number three, very quickly. Prayer changes your emotions. Prayer changes your emotions. Now, this is similar to number two, but different, because I'm looking primarily at negative emotions. I'm looking at things that we all struggle with emotionally that are negative. Fear, pride, greed, lust, all of these things that we struggle with emotionally sometimes. And I want you to understand that when we, when we get into the process now, regularly praying, that it's the process that affects these things. Now watch this, because this is a good verse. It's a familiar verse, but please don't miss it. Understand what it's saying, okay? Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I want to read verse 6 first. Paul's writing to the Philippian church, and here's what he says. He says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now stop right there. Don't be anxious about anything. You know what that is? He's saying, don't worry. You don't have any reason to worry, he says. Don't worry. Don't you worry about anything. Here's what you do. When you're worrying, when you've got the emotion of, of worry, he says, here's what you do. You go to the Lord with every situation and by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving. In other words, you're praying about it. You're praising God. You're worshiping God. You're thanking God. You're in a prayer meeting, a worship time with God. If you are worried about something, then go to prayer. If you are worried, let God change your emotion. It's in that process. It's in that prayer room or that closet or your quiet time, wherever it may be, that God does his work on you. He changes you. And all of a sudden, you get up from that time and you realize, you know what? You're not as worried. Now look at verse 7. It says, here's what happens. You present your request to God, verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now notice this, okay? Don't miss it. It's not the answer to the prayer that gives you peace. It doesn't say that. He says, bring it to me, enter into this worship time with me, lay your requests before me, thank me, worship me, and I'll take the fear away, I'll take the worry away, and you'll have peace. It's the process. 
Now, guys, this changes the whole ball game. Because if I think that the only way that I can have peace is, that, is if that God does what I want him to, then I'm going to be a pretty sad person. Because God is not there to act on every whim that I have. God is there to teach me and to mold me. So here I come before the Lord and I am worried about a family problem. I'm worried about a health problem. I'm worried about a job or money, whatever it may be. And God says, okay, you can worry about this. You can try to figure out what you're going to do. Or you can come and talk to me. And it's in the process of coming and talking to him and laying my soul bare before him that he takes away the worry and gives me peace. And don't miss this little phrase here in this verse. Peace which transcends all understanding. My God, how do you explain that? How do you explain that the God of the universe changes your emotions that way? It can't be explained. This is a spiritual transformation, a spiritual transaction. I come to my God, my Father, my Lord, and He changes my hurt, my worry, my pain. And He takes it away. And you know what? Let me tell you something. Just let me say this. At that point, it doesn't really matter if He answers the prayer or not. Because most of us want relief from the fear, the hurt, the pain, the worry. And really, when you get right down to it, God's promise to us as believers is what? You know what? I'm not going to take you out of this world. But I'll take you through it. Your whole world can be crumbling around you and I can give you peace. You can't explain it. Nobody can, but I'll give it to you if you come right here and spend time with me. See, this is the beauty of prayer. We don't want to just put emphasis on the end result. Now, granted, go back to number one. God's power flows when we pray. We're not denying that. I don't want you to lose sight of that. We're going to talk about that more. But the process is so important to him. What do you need to change? What is it about you that you want changed? What emotion, what feeling, what, what is it you're struggling with? Maybe for you, you need peace. It's there at the feet of Jesus. It's there. Maybe for you, you need joy. You can have it. You spend time with him, joy is going to be a byproduct. Maybe for you, you're scared to death, you're afraid of the future, and what you need is relief from that. Well, it's right there at his feet. You need to establish a prayer time, and it'll happen. You need relief from stress. Some of you young mothers are stressed to the limit. You're maybe working and raising kids, and they're driving you crazy, and you're just worn out. You know where you need to be? You need to be at the foot of Jesus. That's where you need to be. You need to be opening your soul bare to him. Moms go to him and say, you know what, sometimes I don't like these kids. Be honest. Sometimes, Lord, I hate my husband. Be honest. Lord, I know that this is wrong, and only you can change this. And so as I lay bare my soul before him, I'm just asking God to take it away and to change me. And he does. 
some of you are so riddled with guilt because of something that has happened in the past, you don't know what to do. It eats at you all the time. All you do is think about it. You think about what happened, what you did, and you're just eaten up with guilt. You know where you need to be? You need to be right at the feet of Jesus. And you need to be able to say to him, this is what I did. In all of its ugliness, I'm getting it out and I'm telling you, I'm confessing it to you. This is what I have done. And God, I need to feel the forgiveness. I can know it intellectually, but I want to feel it because this is where I I need the relief. I need to feel it. And God takes the burden off. And God removes the guilt. But if you're not there at his feet, then you're not going to feel that. God changes these emotions. God takes away these things. All of these things that we feel, that we struggle with, when I pray to God, when I spend that time with him, God does a work in my heart. Why do we pray? Why do we pray? Here are these three things we've talked about so far. Number one, because God's power flows to me when I pray. His power is unleashed in my life and things happen. The answers come, whatever it may be, whatever's needed, the power comes. It comes through prayer. Secondly, the quality of your relationship changes. Your walk with the Lord changes because it's in the process of praying that God speaks to you, that God changes you, that God alters you. And so this is so important. Don't shortcut the process. This is what is important to God. And thirdly, God takes these negative emotions that I can't get relief from any other way. God takes them away when I'm sitting at his feet. He takes them away. can't be explained. It makes no sense other than that God is God. This, I believe, is why throughout the Scripture we're told seems like every apostle that wrote a New Testament book, somewhere in that book they're talking about prayer and they're saying that you need to pray without ceasing. You need to pray all the time because this is that important. Stop thinking about praying in order to get something and start thinking about praying in order that God might do something. God might do something to you, okay? That's what we need to start doing. As we go through this series now, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. And try to answer questions that we all have. But the first thing that you and I have got to do is rather than sitting back and evaluating prayer and wondering about all the intricacies of prayer, just do it. Just start. And I really believe with all my heart that if you and I can begin to do that on a regular basis, that God will then move. And you'll begin to see firsthand what I'm talking about. But you and I have to begin to pray, first of all. That's my prayer for all of us. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have questions. You have questions about what it is all about. You have questions about good works and faith and righteousness and all of these things. I want to share two verses with you here as we close, okay? The first one is this in John 6.28. John 6.28 says, Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires. What must we do to do the works that God requires? Now, these were the Pharisees. They're, they're coming to him. They're saying, okay, we want to know. Because you're telling us the salvation is by faith and it's a gift and so forth. And we've always heard now that the Pharisees have taught, that, you know, our leaders have taught that it's, that it's by good works and all the things that we do and obeying the law and all of these things. So you tell me. 
What are the works that God requires for me to be saved? What are the works that God requires for me to be forgiven? What are they? Now, guys, you may be asking that same question. Because, you see, it always comes down to the question of good works. How many good works? What kind of good works? Just how good do I have to be? Now, this is Jesus talking, okay? They are asking Jesus himself, tell us what to do. So if there was ever a time for him to lay it down and say, okay, these are the good works right here. Let me tell you what they are. And he could just enumerate them one by one. Obey the law. Be a good person. Don't cuss. Don't commit adultery. Don't do all He didn't say any of that. He didn't say any of that. They ask him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And in verse 29, he answers. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's it. That's the work of God. If you're sitting here this morning and you do not know that if you were to die right now, you'd go to heaven, you need to make this decision. Yesterday, well, Friday night, Penny McCann called me. And Penny called, she said, I've got a cousin, a nephew, I think it was. Kenny has more rel- Penny has more relatives than you can shake a stick at. There's Billy Bob, Bubba Bo, and, you know, there's all kinds. If you know Penny, you just know her family. And she says, his name is John. He's, uh, oh, I think, about 40 years old. And John is dying. He's on hospice. He was on, on a um, kidney dialysis machine. He's been on it for years. He's just tired of it. He said he wasn't going to do it anymore. So he took himself off, said, forget it, I'm not going to do it. Now, John has, you know, been in prison. John's had a rough life. John's done a lot of things. She said, would you go talk to him? I said, I'll be glad to. So we met yesterday at 1 o'clock here at the church, and I followed her up to Van and went in and talked to John. He had family members there, sister, mother, aunts and uncles, and everybody gathered around. And they left the room and allowed me time to talk to John. And we talked, and, and John's sort of out of it. You know, he's on oxygen, but he sat up, and he'd kind of drift off on me, and I'd punch him and say, wake up. I said, don't you go to sleep. This is too important. And I began to talk with him. I said, John, tell me what you think. If you are no if to it, I said, when you die, which is probably going to be soon. I said, what is going to happen to you? Will you stand before God and will he let you in heaven? He was very reluctant to talk. He just didn't want, he couldn't get it out. And I kept pressing him. I kept pressing him. I said, John, you got to tell me what it is you're struggling with. He said, I am afraid. I said, what are you afraid of? He said, all the things I've done. I said, John. Normally, if I was in with a prisoner, I'd ask him. I'd say, let's write it down. You know, what have you done? I'd write them down. He was kind of drifting in and out. I didn't want to take the time to do that. I said, so you'd let me, let me tell you. I said, I'm guessing that it's probably something really bad. So let's think of the worst things we can think of. Let's think of rape. Let's think of incest. Let's think of murder, adultery. Drug addiction, I mean, whatever, John, you think that you've done that is so bad that God wouldn't forgive. And let's pretend, for example, that this little book, I had a pamphlet in my hand. I said, this is all your sin right there. There it is. 
And you're telling me that God won't save you and forgive you because of that. And I'm telling you that God sent His Son, Jesus. He died on the cross and He took the penalty for all of that on Himself. There's nothing that God will not forgive. Nothing. And I read Scripture to him and I'd ask him, I said, Now, John, tell me right now, when you die, where are you going to be? Now, we went through this two or three times. Because he still couldn't let go of the guilt and the feeling that I don't measure up and I'm scared to death to face God. Until finally the last time he looked up at me, I said, John, where are you going to go? He said, heaven. I said, why? He said, because God made the sacrifice. I said, good. I said, good. And so we prayed together and I... uh, you know, we let, I led him in a, in a prayer of salvation. I said, now, I don't know how much time you have left. I said, but the Bible says that you are God's child. You are his child. You're forgiven. I said, it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with the life that you lived. It has everything to do with what God did for you. Those people in the book of John asked him, Lord, tell us what we've got to do to get to heaven. And God told them, he said, the only thing you can do is believe. Believe on my son. My sacrifice. Friend, if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know, then settle this. Because at 10 o'clock last night, John died. He died. When I left, we took two cars and I left because the family wanted to stay there and be together and I needed to get back. So Penny followed me out and was asking me, she said, so what happened? What do you think? I said, I think that he's okay. I said, he made a profession of faith, and as best he can, I think he understands it. And he called upon the Lord to save him in faith. I said, that's all it is, Penny. Now, after I left, Penny texted me later that night. She said, after I left, she had an opportunity to go back in there and talk with him again. She said, it was really good. I said, well, I'm glad. Someday you're going to die. It might be today. And there are going to be people that wonder, okay, well, were you okay with the Lord? Where, where are you? Don't leave them wondering. Settle this issue. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You come to God in faith. You trust that Jesus went to the cross, died, and was resurrected for your sins. It's an exchange that you're making. You're saying to God, I believe you did that for me, and I'm letting you take all my sin. In faith, I believe you did it. In faith, I give you my sin. I'm taking your son. It's an exchange. That's the only way to salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works. Lord, what do we need to do to work the works? Nothing. Not by works. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a minute. Settle this issue, folks. If you have doubts about your salvation right now, do you believe it or not? Do you trust Him or not? It's that simple. Don't walk out of here not trusting in the payment that God made for you. He loves you that much. It is free. Just reach out and take it. And it does not matter about your sin. It doesn't matter about your past. God forgives it all. Right here where you sit, I just want to lead you in a prayer. This prayer doesn't save you. Hopefully the prayer just reflects what's in your heart. The prayer goes like this. And if you want, you can pray along your own heart. God, I know that I'm a sinner.
I know that I have shamed you with my life. But I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for my sins. And that he rose again according to the scriptures. I'm trusting him to save me. I'm putting my faith in him. Thank you, Father, for loving me that much. The Bible says that if you have faith in the Lord, you're saved. It's that simple. I'm not here to embarrass you. I just want to know who you are so that I can pray with you. Today, for the first time, you're trusting Christ as your Savior. Just lift your hand up and put it back down. God bless you. Anyone else? Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Lord, I thank you for these that have indicated that they're trusting you as their Savior. Father, I lift them up and I pray that now they can grow and they can change and they can become more like you. And I pray that for all of us, that we would see the importance and the the need to be in your presence every day as we come to you through this privilege you give us of prayer. Father, strengthen us, encourage us, reassure us. Father, change us. Lord, let the power flow through and to us as we come to you, raising our hands in prayer to you and thanking you for all the blessings you give us. We praise you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.